You know, I usually have these old-school analog microphones. This is really uh, politician-like. <laughs> you need to turn this up a little bit. Do you remember this piece? Uh, you can even turn it up a little bit more, I think. My name is Alec Empire, and what you just heard was the music piece I wrote for last year's anniversary opening video installation, the 30th uh, C3. Those of you in the audience who couldn't attend last year, there was a video installation that ran on multiple screens. It showed the 30-year history of the Chaos Computer Club. The beginning, the 80s, in the 90s, you know, when the internet became accessible for everyone. Then the years after, and now we're here. So this is really amazing for me to, to be here, and uh, thank you all for coming. And also thanks to the CCC for this invitation, because uh, I'm a musician, you know, I'm not really a hacker. So when I received the uh, request, I have to admit it kind of blew me away uh, to be invited here and speak to you. I assume most of you in the audience do not know who I am, um, and there's probably also a percentage of people here <laughs> who want to forget that they've ever heard a song of me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to quickly introduce myself. Um, I'm a musician, producer, composer, also sound engineer. 
Uh, I'm the director of Digital Hardcore Recordings, which is a record label based in London. I'm a member of Atari Teenage Riot, um, which is a collective of musicians. Um, I was born in West Berlin in the 70s, so I experienced the Berlin Wall and its fall. Uh, yes, I was very involved in the techno and electronic music scene when it exploded in Europe via Berlin in the early 90s. And I, I don't want to go into this for too long, uh, but I basically have been involved in the production of around 400 releases, worked with tons of musicians like Björk, Gary Newman, Rammstein, you know, <laughs> Primal Scream, Slayer, or even classical musicians like the Brodsky Quartet. The music press calls me a sonic terrorist. Um, I toured with Nine Inch Nails, Wu-Tang Clan, Rage Against the Machine, Moby, and many others. Here, uh, if this works now, you see a poster from the late 90s. Uh, and I think you get the idea where we stand politically. Uh, <laughs> Here you see Trent Reznor wearing an Atari Teenage Riot shirt. Um, <laughs> and here's a legendary photo of Aphex Twin. And as somebody on the internet pointed out, in the corner there, there's a mysterious person sitting in the garage wearing an Atari Teenage Riot t-shirt. For years, I didn't even notice this, so who was pulling the strings? <laughs> um, in the late 90s, the Beastie Boys uh, put out an album by Atari Teenage Riot called Burn, Berlin, Burn. It went gold in the United States. Uh, the international release of Burn, Berlin, Burn was a slightly different version, and it was called Delete Yourself. So the last 20 years of my life were an absolute ride. Um, we as a collective, we try to stay off the grid as much as we can, because we know about the dangers of the music industry and its hype machine. It can swallow you, and then it spits you out, and most artists can't get back up again. So when I spoke to Torsten and Erdgeist and a little bit to Frank, um, they told me that they wanted me to speak uh, about my approach to music today, uh, the political ideas and methods behind it, because they are very unusual and have a lot in common with hacking. Usually uh, musicians are inspired by other musicians, but we are inspired by hackers. So there are like three words. Atari Teenage Riot, uh, and I want to play you a little clip from 
There's something wrong out there, sir. What do you mean? Everybody's losing their faces. We really ought to investigate, Malcolm. The video for the song Revolution Action was directed by Andrea Jacobi. Um, it opens with the shot of Wall Street, and then the company faces a little technical problem. Um, this was in 1999, and it's maybe interesting uh, for you to know that MTV UK banned it right away uh, because they feared that people would get, get uh, epileptic fits or something like that. Um, but actually, MTV International did show it in many other countries. So over the past 10 years, the internet spread this video, and you saw an edited version of it uh, now. And the internet is probably where most people saw it. Um, a Thai teenage riot is not a band that is often a misunderstanding. It's more loose collective of like-minded musicians. And what might be interesting for you to know is that we program every song on the Atari 1040ST. The Atari 1040ST, do you remember this uh, even? <laughs> so, I mean, who doesn't even know this computer anymore? I, I guess the majority of you guys here. Yeah, it has two megabyte RAM. <laughs> it's always a fucking pain to make music on it. <laughs> it's like solving a, a difficult uh, math equation or something <laughs> at our time. Um, but it's great. Um, it has a very fast and tight MIDI attack, and every year that passes, it becomes a, a new challenge to drive this little thing in the red. But it's cheap also at this point. You know, it's 20 bucks maybe on eBay or something. You can create art and beauty on a computer. Um, and I always say this to musicians. Um, who try to figure out, like, learning the skills of a more traditional instrument. And you can also use music and art as a weapon. William S. Burroughs wrote a text in the Electronic Revolution about, riots, about how riot sound effects can produce riots when you play them in a riot situation. You simulate a riot. People hear the sounds, they change their behavior, call the cops, the cops appear on the scene, and you have a riot. <laughs> when we started in 1992, the far-right and neo-Nazi neo scene in Europe was on the rise, especially in Eastern Germany. We knew we had to fight against that with music. So we decided to make an to make electronic music on an Atari computer based on Burroughs' text. Sampling, sampling technology was affordable at this point, and we created these tracks that were almost collage-like. Um, back then, music scenes were pretty divided into groups like punks and ravers and metal fans and the hip-hop scene and so on. But our idea was to tear down those barriers and unite people from all genres for the politics. Fashion, race, sex, social background, and so on, shouldn't exclude anyone from joining. I still believe in this approach, even though the music has to be adjusted from time to time to make this work. Um, Germany just celebrated its uh, 25th 
anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and again, we see racist and fascist ideologies spread all over Europe. Anti-Semitism, attacks on Jewish people, and the demonization of Muslims. 20 years ago, we hoped these problems would be solved by now, but they aren't. It's important that culture reacts to this and maybe even prevents this. The physical aspect of the music is very important, using frequencies that give the listener an adrenaline rush. When people hear music, they often fall into certain patterns of behavior. We have all witnessed this many times. You hear a Christmas song, your brain switches immediately. Or when soldiers hear the national an anthem, their body language changes uh, very fast. Weddings, funerals, supermarkets, rock concerts, raves, birthdays, and so on. Be aware of those, become immune to them, and you are in less danger of being tricked into something. Um, and for those of you who never attended an Atari Teenage Riot show, this is what it looks like. footage was filmed by visual artist Zan Lyons, um, who was there to take some photos first, but then switched to filming when the crowd started to uh, tear down the barriers. Um, this was filmed at Fusion Festival near Berlin. Um, it's a festival which is completely corporate sponsor-free uh, that we played in 2010. These things still exist, and I think it's important to support them and go there. Last August, we premiered a video at the EFF event at DEF CON in Las Vegas in the US, which was this one. Thank <laughs> you. 
say that computers are destroying our humanity, but we say that computers are controlled by man and they can be used to help humanity. Uh, I would have these comments uh, during our shows, <laughs> so people would know what to do. Um, <laughs> uh, in the video animated by Rob McLellan, uh, we wanted to use a 90s style video game uh, aesthetics uh, to criticize sexism in video games. Um, the entertainment industry and how it creates stupid rivalries between creatives. You know, a few weeks later, the whole Gamergate thing happened, so we were slightly off time uh, with this video. Uh, I think a little bit later, it would have been a good commentary, maybe. Um, this was also an edited version. Um, the whole thing is longer, of course, which I think the, the message is becoming clearer when you see the whole thing. Um, I often get asked by people from the hacking community, why is it that not more musicians participate or help? Okay, people have maybe some friends who do some music and, uh, you know, but I think we can all agree that since that Metallica and Napster fight, musicians and artists don't really want to get involved. But I think they should. Often people ask me, why isn't there more protest music? There's that triangle that a lot of creatives use. You know, it's like high quality, high speed at low cost. And you can never have the three. It's just the reality of the creative process. Now think about what happens, and make no mistake about it, because it is happening now, since a few years. So what happens when you try to do it with zero cost? It's almost like you're freezing culture. Now we could argue if creativity is a resource and compare it to fuel, let's say, then it is uh, limited and it can run out when there's nothing left to loot. Decentralization, uh, but we are witnessing the exact opposite of that. Jaron Lanier often gets criticized for his view and an analysis of the situation, but he is right and it's a fact. This philosophy, this thinking, has led to a notch curve. A very tiny amount of people become very rich in this scheme. Everybody else loses or is driven out of business. It used to be more like a, a bell curve. More equal, fairer, it empowered the creatives. It brought us the music we love. And all musicians creating music right now in the digital age depend on that second half of the last century for musical references. The era when recorded music flourished. 
So, but then people say, uh, wait, Alec, we rode horses and then cars came and they were invented and everything got improved. I've never fully agreed with that comparison. I, I don't think it really works here. And, you know, you can really identify a con man when you hear him argue this way. It's just too simple. Because if this was true, then the work of the greatest music composers in history would be shared the most. People would understand complex music more and faster. But the exact opposite is the case right now. Music education was the first that was cut in most countries since the financial crisis. The reality is that young people today only hear something like classical music in a soundtrack for blockbuster movies like Transformers, instead of learning and understanding it via the internet. Even popular mainstream artists who make pop music can only survive if they enter, in my opinion, very compromising corporate sponsoring deals. Independent artists are doing other jobs by now and can't take any risks. In this uh, system, it gets harder and harder to speak out. It is well known that if we look at the charts, that the majority of artists are coming from upper class or upper middle class backgrounds. Even Noel Gallagher of Oasis pointed this out in an interview with BBC a few weeks ago. Many artists don't like corporate sponsoring because it corrupts creativity. And I think they are right. Because once you enter these agreements, your mind just starts to think in a different way. Think of a politician who knows he or she took bribes but acts in the media like he or she was employed by the people and works for the people. So artists or those who work with artists access culture funds, government funds, especially in Europe. We all know when libertarians, especially those from Silicon Valley, say, we don't pay people, not our problem, let somebody else worry about that. Where these companies are basing their businesses on the taxpayer repairing the damage. That is just the reality right now. So we have created a system in which we are not driving creativity anymore, but by voting with our dollar, we handed that power over to bureaucrats and corporations. Those people don't like to see political ideas expressed by creatives because it could get them in trouble. I really want you to understand this because I honestly believed, and I think many of you believed the same thing two decades ago. We thought this problem was solved already. Solve distribution via the internet, and the rest will work itself out somehow. Maybe it was working for a little while, uh, but things got out of balance again. It's not so easy to point out the gatekeepers anymore in this more complex world, but they are out there and they're very busy, and they have adapted to our times. When I started, I strongly believed in this principle, political art becomes corrupt when it's becoming part of a corporate ad campaign. The context matters so much that it can shut down an artist forever because we stop trusting their words. I am here to show solidarity with the Occupy London movement. In our experience over the last five years, the most frequent attacks on our organization have not been even by intelligence organizations or military organizations, they have, in fact, been by banks. Atari Teenage Riot. Anonymous Teenage Riot. No justice, no peace. Are you ready to testify? Are you ready to testify? You got two seconds. 
There's a unified axis of government and corporate power. Lawless and unrestrained. That's what we should talk about. Corporations exploit the power of the state to further enhance their power and the real criminals get away. My flow is but it's like they shut up my water. I got to share enough to me for what I say about Obama. My flag is red like a period. Comma, I'm a pariah just like every one of y'all. Let's take that show to the slaughter. Here we got a beat. Bouncing more than last month's red check. The boss walking Wall Street with a pimp stack. People are rude here. We need to live the rich net. We low pay prostitutes with no fish net. It's Shabiri and Scott in this time to Homeland Security, we are the bomb. Inform the house staff, the mobs on the lawn, and it ain't no soiree. And they say pop ball. They call this black flag, but I'm not an anarchist. I'm on some simple hammer shit, collector Bruce Banner shit. Over a piano pitch, calculate the hammer hit when you're collecting damages and handing up on sandwiches. People cannot wear masks in London. They cannot wear facial coverings in London. And that basic anonymity is denied to people. I say, that sometimes it may be legitimate to deny that anonymity, but we should not accept it until Swiss bank accounts and offshore bank accounts are also denied of their anonymity. Are you ready to To find out more about WikiLeaks financial blockade and how to donate, please visit wikileaks.org forward slash support dot html. So it was quite interesting. This is from 2011. Um, so we were going on to a US tour and we needed like a video and uh, video, the video directors that we wanted to work with didn't have time enough to do it uh, for the beginning of the, the tour, basically, that we have it ready. So um, we, we tried to do this typical kind of viral thing involving the fans, but what was quite interesting is that we got sent a lot of uh, these kind of clips by anonymous activists, and we put, it up, we put up the first version of the video, uh, went on tour, and in every city we played in America, like about a week or two weeks after, there was an Occupy protest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that we caused it, but, but it was very interesting to see how a pretty boring idea in the first place became something that connected activists, you know, basically on a global level. Um, this is also where I met most hackers like... Uh, from that scene, let's call it like that, for the first time, you know, backstage, and it uh, was a very uh, exciting thing. And then it ended up with that third version that you just saw, seen, um, where we even got this footage from WikiLeaks. And because it was a free song, we thought, why don't add this uh, donation thing uh, to the video? Um, but then, a few months later, um, and I don't want to make this too long because it's a really long story and Quinn Norton once did a, a great piece on it in Wired. You can, I think, still read it online. Of course, the music industry, the corporate music industry, reacts to that stuff. Um, and they are linked also, you know, to selling devices. You've stormed alien planets, battled and nuked out cities, fought gods in heaven and hell. But there's still one place you've never conquered. The world is your new battleground. Never stop playing. PlayStation Vita. 
<laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, this was, this was aired on uh, American television in February 2012. But the thing is, they used our music, which you know, you, if you have a publishing, if you work with a publisher together, you know, it's, you can kind of work it out. The money comes to you as a, as a composer or as a band or whatever. Uh, so what we did uh, to react to it, we uh, donated this. It was, you know, quite a lot of money, I think, <laughs> to freeannons.org, uh, to the legal fund. And... Um, it, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I've kind of wanted to keep it like quiet and do it without any, you know, publicity. But uh, the same weekend that this ad aired on American television, there were a lot of arrests. Uh, so, of course, the. Uh, anonymous scene, or I don't exactly know what you call it at, at this point. A lot of people, you know, uh, tweeted about this, and uh, it was kind of like a little win, <laughs> you know, uh, in that situation. So, um, you know, information wants to be free. Music is like language. There are so many layers of information in a music piece that most of us can only understand a fraction of what is actually communicated. Before music could be recorded, people wrote it down, so other people far away were able to play it. I'm still blown away by the fact how amazing music notation actually is and has worked since centuries. When you look at sheets of, let's say, a symphony of Beethoven or Bach, there's a beauty that some of us fear when we look at code. That's what I was told by some hackers. It's almost like something very deep inside of us and understands something before we can even explain that to a colleague or a friend. I was always interested in the personality, the character of the creator that would shine through in those works. Even when these were anonymous, the work could tell me so much. I could look at the world from a different perspective, like I was looking through them. Empathy is the key word here. For most people using the internet now, it means you know, defending your own worldview, staying strong while standing in a shitstorm, reading articles or comments that just confirm your opinion. Empathy is something that is hard to learn or to find right now. One thing I just read a few days on Twitter and I really liked it was the statement uh, from Tor uh, about you know the bullying and, and all that stuff. And I think these to remind ourselves of that is, is so important. Some people are so cynical at this point that they don't think it's, it matters, but I think it really does. So it's well known that Mozart embedded secret codes in his compositions that would link to the Freemasons, for example. Music was always open, but you had to train your ears to decipher the information embedded in it. When I wrote this little anniversary piece for last year's opening video that we heard in the beginning, I knew I just had to start with three C's. And I have to admit, it was the first time that I ever did that. You know, usually children's songs or Christmas songs start like that. And in my word, it's uh, taboo. <laughs> um, you know, it was like, how can I make this kind of cool? <laughs> so, we all know that when different musicians play from the same note sheet, they will all sound different. The better they are, the more their personality shines through, and we can later analyze these differences, for example, with technology or software. But what we can't do is to predict those micro-decisions that an artist will make when creativity is happening. 
Too many factors of the universe are influencing their process and its outcome is always different. Yes, you can copy somebody else, that is happening all the time, but every once in a while there are artists, people who do something so special that they seize the time. Historically, collectives have suppressed those people because they did not fit in. But I hear people saying like to me, but Alec, every creative act is just a copy of a copy of a copy. Authors just write down what, what other people say. Painters just paint what the world chose to them. We all have heard this idea in all its variations before, especially when tech giants want to justify monetization of their users' creations. Monetization that just takes from the users without giving anything back. Instagram is a very good example for that. And I keep hearing the same simplification again and again, and it is dangerous. Because it's an open attack on the rights and freedoms of the individual. And when you question those new business models, the corporate PR machinery kicks in and peer pressure is applied to shut critics up. In my opinion, the fight for privacy, the fight against surveillance, and the fight for creators' rights have a lot in common. They are linked, they are connected. Authorities, corporate or political, who invade your privacy are also the ones who seize the products of your mind. That's why open source and creative commons are great because those who participate in those adventures do it with consent. In my opinion, sharing MP3s creates passive consumers. I say share your whole recording sessions so people can look at how the beats were programmed, which combination of notes and frequencies trigger those feelings that you like. This way people learn and understand and we can all start moving forward. When I started Atari Teenage Riot in 1992, I wanted to take the revolutionary spirit of punk and digitize that so it could be transported into our time and hopefully be preserved so future generations could further develop it. When I use the word punk, I don't mean a certain look, fashion or music genre. I mean something that can be, of course, found in punk fashion or the music genre punk, but I mean this virus that makes people question authorities and control systems. Usually universities don't produce those minds. But these minds are needed to bring necessary change or innovation. I think the hacker world is full of those. But the music world, platforms like YouTube or Facebook do not produce them. They make it impossible for these minds to get anywhere. The only interesting artists were those who knew how to trick those systems, fake stats, they thought like hackers. Introverts have created some of the most important works in the history of mankind. And introverts do not fit into that system that has the goal to generate the most clicks in order to sell ads. The system favors those who come up with the loudest and most conformist content fast. We can all sit back and enjoy <laughs> when things get even more absurd but uh, deep down we all know that it's all very short-sighted and it even goes against the hacker ethics to create art and beauty on a computer. I always loved that phrase that I saw on one of the anonymous Twitter accounts a few years ago. On the internet you can be anything you want. It's strange that so many people choose to be stupid. I think you've heard about this. <laughs> But it's also true, like, on the internet you can consume anything you want, and it's strange that so many people choose to consume something stupid, and you can replace consume with produce, and it will also make sense. Most creatives produce for a target audience, an audience that is already defined by the content industry. 
It's understandable that one wants to minimize any risk beforehand. Netflix praised this when the series House of Cards became successful with their viewers. Critics say that its success had probably more to do with the fact that it was based on the great original BBC series. So not as innovative as uh, Breaking Bad, for example. I noticed something interesting in the media and by talking to other people about it. There was always that underlying idea that the algorithms are so smart and precise at this point, when they tell you, you will like this, yes, you will totally like this. And many people accept that without even questioning it. So are too many people becoming passive consumers again, like our parents' generation? High approval ratings prove that content is of high quality? If we are honest, then we must uh, admit that, those, that most people make a judgment by looking at stats and comments before they have read the article, watched the video, or listened even to the song. While culture is becoming more fragmented, we see an even more centralized accumulation of power when it comes to who is deciding over the future of the Internet and how the majority of average people actually use it or have access to it. I know very well that I'm speaking to probably exactly the, I don't know how many people are here tonight, but um, thousands <laughs> of people on the planet right now who have not stepped into those traps. You're very conscious about how you use technology. But I'm saying this to you because at this point, one could argue that we are losing the war here. Even though some smaller battles are won here and there every once in a while, but the bigger picture, I think it looks dark. I remember last year, the 30th anniversary, I couldn't attend, but I felt it on the other side of the world. The Snowden revelations killed all doubts of what we're up against here. It was like a reality shock. Some even compared it to events like 9-11. There's the time before and after you got hit with the news. Everyone wanted to celebrate the 30 years of this great club and then this. I admitted I was depressed on a constant basis since summer of 2013. What depressed me most wasn't the magnitude of the surveillance, it was how I witnessed a young generation that was so excited about democracy and the possibilities to improve it with technology. I witnessed how that spirit of that generation was crushed within almost a few weeks, it seemed. Hopelessness, cynicism, and frustration spread like a virus. But the worst thing was that indifference for most people out there. People were really needed to mobilize those masses who make the difference in the end, to get the snowball rolling, turn it into an avalanche. I didn't even feel like I wanted to perform anymore. Our new album was just finished, we were setting up its release, preparing videos, getting all the tools ready. But the energy that everyone felt in 2010, 2011, and perhaps even in 2012, seemed gone. I think even the decline of the Pirate Party in Germany kind of shows that too. In the first hours of when the Snowden story broke, I tweeted this, I'm surprised how indifferent so many feel about the U.S. surveillance scandal. Look up Germany's history. I've spoken to people who lived in Nazi and Eastern Socialist Germany. The spying on your life by the state is one thing, but what it does to your friends and family in the long run is beyond anything you can imagine right now. You lose trust in the people you love. Every conversation becomes half lie, half truth. It becomes part of everybody's lives. Nobody is an exception. So ignore music, games, or whatever you do right now and research the topic. Anything you've said in the past can be twisted against you in a surveillance state. Made the wrong joke in private? You're constantly being blackmailed by those in charge. History has shown that these types of societies never last. They get so corrupted with lies that many people will suffer in the end. Everybody loses. 
That was in the summer of 2013. And uh, my words resonated with many people in the online community. Even the Green Party contacted me, asked if I could see myself somehow working with them. I said no. Um, and actually, let me make one thing very clear right now. If you're a politician and you wonder why people are disillusioned with politics and don't vote, yes, we don't trust you anymore. And in these situations, I can't thank everyone in the CCC enough for their hard work, commitment, and passion. Let me say this as a musician, and I speak for many when I say this. People like us, we don't understand every technical aspect of this stuff, but what the CCC does sends a strong message and gives people hope out there. And that is very important right now. The right to privacy is very important for creative people. Culture can be a very strong weapon. Even though at this point most of the information was known, feeling the atmosphere uh, together with like-minded people in this old cinema in former East Berlin energized me again. You know, Jacob Applebaum, he uh, invited me to the premiere of the film Citizen Four. I don't know if you have seen the film yet. It's a, it's a great documentary, and I think everyone here kind of knows that, but I want to point something else out today. When I sat in this packed cinema next to Frank Rieger and all the other guys, and the room was filled with amazing people who deeply cared about this topic, and then Laura spoke to the audience and so on, I was so glad that I didn't watch a crappy stream online alone in my cubicle. So when things look hopeless, remember to use culture, bring people together, share time and space together. Here's a, a photo of protesters in Tokyo during the Fukushima rallies in 2011. It says anti-TEPCO riot. So if you're an artist, be open and let others develop your art further. It's okay to let go sometimes. If you disagree or something, just create new stuff and move forward. I was just told I have 10 more minutes. Damn, I, I, I really want to speak about something that happens to me uh, with Spotify. Um, I hope I have enough time. Um, <laughs> because you might have heard it, in 2014, more and more artists started to speak out against streaming services like Spotify. Usually it's about royalties, and I will not go into this too much right now. It's clear to everyone who can do basic math uh, that these services are not the future business models because they don't put any money back into the hands of musicians. These systems can't be maintained. But I want to tell you my experience with Spotify. So in 1997, a Titanic writer released an album on the Beastie Boys label called The Future of War. It was the album that introduced us to the world. Its sales uh, reached gold status. Uh, critics praised it as possibly the strongest musical anti-fascist statement to come out of Germany. For many, uh, it's still the blueprint of what can be done with a computer when it comes to pushing the limits of sound, connecting political lyrics with uh, very physical music. Songs from it still get played at protests around the world. Influential music blog Stereogum rates it at number nine of the loudest album ever. So to put this in perspective to you, for you, uh, ACDC is at 19, Aphex Twin is at 16, and Motorhead is at 13. <laughs> Was maybe interesting for some of you, we used to print the recording setup in the booklet so more cyberpunks could join the digital hardcore movement. So six years later, in 2003, our label received a 40-page document from this institution in Germany called Bundesprüfstelle für Jugendgefährdende Medien. <laughs> so this album was suddenly put on the index, and they, ex uh, they explained it over 40 pages. To give you an example of what they were criticizing, 
African-born rapper Kai Crack sings, I have a fear of a white planet. You know, he was expressing his experiences with racism growing up in Germany, where he was often the only black child and had trouble fitting in. A reason for the Bundesprüfstelle to shut him down or to shut him up, they argued that people of Caucasian skin color or something are being discriminated against here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you read the stuff and, like you, first you laugh about it and when you get to page 18, you get so mad that you want to burn this thing. <laughs> and I think... Uh, <laughs> I think people who work on video games know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so what does the index mean? You are forbidden to sell the music or play it in public. It's a form of censorship. So what actually happened was that a teacher in Bavaria found the CD with one of his students and reported it. Classic scenario where an outsider who doesn't look deeper into something takes action against something he doesn't understand. It would have been easy to contact us, maybe even get us in the classroom to clear this up, but no. How Germany deals with uh, anti-fascist art is one thing, but now it gets even better. Years pass, you know, the internet, thanks to Pirate Bay and the fans, people can access the music. We didn't even care about the index anymore. I made my peace with this whole thing and moved on. Ten years passed when suddenly we received a notice from Spotify that we've been flagged. Because they were notified by the Bundesprüfstelle. <laughs> and we were given an ultimatum. We remove this album from Spotify, or the whole catalog of the whole label will get removed. So we're not even talking about Germany. We're talking worldwide and all other artists on the label. So my guys from the label put a call in, hoping to talk to human beings so we can clear this up. The woman on the other end, looking at her screen, explains, this happens to bands who use Nazi references in their songs. So my label manager explained that this artist, Atari Teenage Riot, has not only one anti-Nazi song. All the music for over two decades was written to fight Nazi ideology. And he offered to send you know, the evidence, like song lyrics, articles, etc. So the Spotify woman's answer was, you know, Nazi or anti-Nazi, it doesn't matter, you're being flagged. We won't change anything. <laughs> so for now, we decided to remove it because we didn't want the other artists to suffer too. But we are still looking into taking legal, legal action. So whenever marketing people try to convince you that you should have one service host all content for you in the cloud, convenient, keep this in mind, out of sight, out of mind, mistrust, authority, promote decentralization. I think when we speak about streaming services and how much they suck, <laughs> we hopefully, uh, we hopefully seen at uh, what they are in a few years if they don't change it. They are kind of, for me, like a destructive force that doesn't help creatives, only exploits them for short-term profits. But I want to mention that the guys from BitTorrent are doing the right thing, in my opinion. Uh, I really think that BitTorrent is moving into a direction that gives creatives control and lets them decide. Um, so if you love uh, music and everything that comes with it, support the service, use it, help build a better system. Um, I don't think I have enough time, right? How much time do you need? I wanted to talk about uh, us trolling Apple with our iPhone app. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make it too long. Okay, okay. I was, to, I was told I have an hour. This flies by so, so fast. I'm over time, okay. Damn it. Let's come to an end. You know what? Let's, let's forget this. Uh, I'm going to put this up online, the rest. Um. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, to me, uh, it seems like the world is split into two sides. Um, one sees the creative as a slave to the audience, self-exploitation 24 hours a day. The other sees the creative as the master of his audience, like they are all an army of slaves that have to pay and pay and pay. If you never saw it this way, go read the comments be below YouTube videos. <laughs> Suddenly it all makes sense. By the way, this is a phenomenon that is part of our culture. We inherited that from the times of the Cold War, when the battle between capitalism and socialism, West and East, was fought. Other cultures, for example in Africa, have never looked at music through those lenses. I think it's time to look at those, get inspired by them, so we can move forward and create something better and finally leave these old battles behind. I think we were all born into this, but together we can find a way out of it. We just have to. How the media reported on the latest hack of Sony by North Korea couldn't symbolize this better. Ask around in a few months, uh, how will people remember the story and um, most people will probably repeat the headlines that were written to generate the most clicks fast. Um, maybe we can just uh, see a video at the end. Damn it, there's so much I wanted to speak to you about. You know what, I can... Uh, I show you two last things. In case you haven't seen it yet, um, I think culture needs to be used more for a political battle. And uh, Erdgeist mentioned it, the protest of the uh, first May demonstration. I don't know if how many of you have seen this. Uh, um, let me just show it to you. Okay, there was a lot of other stuff I wanted to mention to you, but uh, I, don't, I'm, I don't have enough time right now. But basically what I wanted to say is, I think hackers and artists must unite more, and they have to start working on a much deeper level. 
just build something better. Use culture also in the fight. Okay, thank you.